It's our first episode of 2022. I'm Kayla. And I'm Kayla's mom, Alicia. And you are listening to True Crime Exposed. This isn't an easy one today. I will forewarn you that it is a child abuse case, and while these cases are the hardest to tell and to hear, they are also very underreported. I think this might be due to the fact that these cases make us so uncomfortable. When we start to open our minds to the idea that millions of children are being hurt every day, that makes a normal person squirm. We don't want to think about it. But by not ever talking about child abuse, it's easier to push it to the side, to ignore the epidemic happening all around us and the war on children that we can't even try to protect if we don't fully understand how bad it can be and how often this is actually happening. Children don't really have a voice of their own. We as adults are able to stand up for all the things we believe in, the things that are affecting us. So while adults have the resources to scream from the rooftops about all the problems in the world and in our lives, children don't have that. An abused child is suffering a silent battle that they have no way of getting out of by themselves. That's why I talk about these cases, because only we as a community can start to make a difference for these children. If we don't give them a voice, who will? According to childhelp.org, the United States has one of the worst records among industrialized nations. We lose on average five children every day to abuse and neglect. In 2019 alone, state agencies found over 656,000 victims of child maltreatment. This would pack 10 modern football stadiums. I doubt you are, but are you ready for today's case? Okay, guys, we are going to cry our way through this case together. It's not a good one. So let's get into it. So there's a woman and she walks to the elementary school down the road from her home. She's picking up her daughter from school, Rosa Parks Elementary School. They're new in town here in Middletown, Ohio. And as she waits in the front of the school for a little girl to come running out the doors, she's just strolling, passing time by looking around. She sees a bench there and thinks she will go have a seat while she waits. But as she approaches it from the back, she notices that this bench seems really nice. She's getting a sense that it's somewhat special. On the back, there's actually a little boy's face pictured and a saying that reads, the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know they are loved and capable of loving. She wonders to herself what this is for, and as she comes to the front of the bench, her heart sinks into her stomach. It's a painting of a little boy in the clouds, and he's playing with an airplane. The front of the bench reads, in memory of James Hutchinson, a little boy who loved his school, his teachers, and his friends. It feels like a punch to her gut as she wonders what tragic accident took a young student from this school. His poor mother, she thinks to herself. 
And on the walk home from school, she can't stop thinking about the boy on the bench, James Hutchinson. She needed to know what happened to him. So when she got home, she sits at her computer and she searches his name. But she could never imagine the horrific way this child was taken from this earth. And as she reads his story, tears stream down her cheeks. James Hutchinson was born on June 30th, 2014, to his parents, Lewis Hutchinson and Brittany Gosney. He was the third of three children with two older siblings just mere years older than him. June 30th was always special for James and his close family members. His aunt Heather Gosney told Fox 19 Now that he would always wake up bursting at the seams saying, it's my birthday, what are we doing today? James loved water parks and cakes, balloons and presents on his birthday, things that most kids love, but it seems to me that his birthday was maybe even a little more special to him than it may be to some kids. Because you see, James's birthday was all about him, and it was a day where he was showered with attention and kindness and love. And this really meant the world to him and added a little sparkle in his eye. Because although he did have many family members who loved him and treated him kindly, he wasn't always treated with that same love by his mom. I mean, it came in spurts. Brittany could be a great mom, especially when she was around other family members, but there was always a mean streak in her behind closed doors. At first, maybe just when James made a mistake or was getting into trouble, but that only escalated when she later on meets a new boyfriend. Now, regardless of his mom maybe being a little selfish at times, James loved her. James always had a big heart and a big smile on his face. Daryl Trivet is James's grandpa, and they had a special bond. He remembers James as being a really happy-go-lucky kid who would literally make your day the second that you saw him. I hope this isn't, the mom isn't like the mom in the Gabriel Fernandez story. Oh, this one's like a really sad one. Like when I read it, I just kept thinking, F you about the mom. Oh, I hate these ones. I know. It's so sad. I don't like child ones. I don't either. They're like... The ones that are the hardest, <laughs> but it. they're the ones I'm the most passionate about. <laughs> so all of James's family would describe him as a happy, a smart, and a sweet child. But his mom, Brittany, had some different things to say about him. So she would like complain to officers later on when she reports her son missing that James didn't do well in school because he has ADHD and he can't pay attention. But she says, I guess he tries to focus. But I'll go ahead and stick to what James's principal says about him, that he was a happy and an outgoing student who loved school. Well, James's grandpa, Daryl, that we just talked about, of course, had no idea what tragic ending his grandson would soon face when he unknowingly hugged him for the last time. And then as James walked off, he yelled back to his grandpa, I love you. Brittany had lived there in Daryl's home with her three kids for a few years. Daryl was actually Brittany's stepdad married to her mom, Betty. And the couple doesn't remember ever seeing Brittany abuse or neglect her kids. They thought she was a pretty good mom. They saw her do things that any parent would, like grabbing them snacks and juice and basically caring for all their needs. 
However, the young mom and her children were often living in hotel rooms and moving around a lot. Her kids were being dragged from school to school, and soon Brittany became romantically involved with a man named James Hamilton. And this might be a little confusing because Brittany's son is James Hutchinson. Her new boyfriend is James Hamilton. And I guess Big James, James Hamilton, has a nickname of Jobs. And there's actually a detective in the case. And he tells Brittany that he will not refer to her boyfriend as Jobs because that is just stupid. <laughs> and I agree. So I, I will refer to her boyfriend just by his last name, Hamilton. Anyway... About six months before the tragic day when little James' life would end, Brittany decides to move in with Hamilton, and she was taking her three kids with her. But her parents were weary about the situation, to say the least. They couldn't quite put their finger on it, but he just rubbed them the wrong way. So Daryl and Betty voiced their concerns to Brittany. Did the kids, or the kids' dads, or did they have the same dad? I don't think so. Because later on, Brittany, like when she's being interrogated, James's last name is Hutchinson, but she says her older two kids' last name is the same as hers, Gosney. Okay. Unfortunately, there is like almost no info about James's dad. There's a tiny bit at the end. So I don't know how involved he was. And then um, her other kids, there's no info on because they're still kids and they're still alive you know yeah so i'm not sure how involved the like the other parent parents were of her kids okay so when britney's getting ready to leave daryl and betty do voice their concerns to britney asking her please don't move in with him stay here keep your kids here but she wouldn't have any of it she didn't even understand the concern he wasn't her boyfriend yet no, she was moving in with him and his wife of 17 years. What? That couple, I know. Okay, she that said to, weird. <laughs> I know. She tells investigators when she's being interrogated, like, oh, no, like, I didn't move in with him because he was my boyfriend. Him and his wife were just giving me a place to stay because I was, like, homeless. So... Is it really her boyfriend? Well, at the time, Brittany was only 29 years old and Hamilton was 42 years old, which is fine. And age difference is fine. But again, like I just said, he's married. And Brittany claims that she moved in with him platonically for a few months until one day she says Hamilton and his wife get in this big knockdown drag out fight because he finds out that she was cheating on him. And with that, Brittany and James move into a hotel room together with her kids. And this is where she says that their relationship turned romantic. Okay, I'm sure nobody believed that. <laughs> like you don't just get in a fight with your wife and move out into a hotel with the girl that's living with you. And move some random girl in that's years younger than you. Exactly. With so I'm <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot more to that story. But yes, originally she lived with him and his wife. Eventually, her and him move out into a hotel room together. Got it. Not healthy. Not good. So far. A weird situation. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, 
this is probably part of the reason that her parents disapprove so much, but their disapproval made her so angry that she actually ends up cutting them off completely. And since then, Daryl and Betty have never been able to see their grandkids again. So now we come to Sunday, February 28th, 2021. Brittany Gosney and Hamilton had moved into a new home just about a month earlier. So they were in the hotel room after they moved out. And then about a month before this, February 28th, they moved into like an actual rental home of their own together and with her kids. And in this home, Brittany didn't have any mattresses for her three children to sleep on. They just slept on the ground. And it does look like a home, honestly, that looks pretty run down according to the old rental property pictures online. Now, this Sunday morning isn't just like any other day. Because on this morning, the couple is walking into the police station to report Brittany's youngest son, James, as missing. As they are relaying their story to officers, everyone's a little uncomfortable. First of all, Brittany is showing no emotion. She's not crying. She doesn't seem worried. She's just getting the story out. And on top of that, Brittany says that her son went missing Saturday night. But they're here on Sunday. She was really trying to say like, hey, yeah, my six-year-old child, he went missing last night and I figured maybe he would make his way home through the night, but here we are Sunday morning and he's still gone. (laughs) Weird. Oh my gosh. People are so stupid. Yeah, you'd be freaking out a lot more than that and you wouldn't just wait for that young child to come home at night. It would take probably approximately five minutes for me to realize my kid's missing to when I called the police. Like, if I couldn't find my kid, (laughs) I'm going to the police right then. I'm not going to be like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go to sleep. Yeah. And we'll see where he's at in the morning. Yeah, that sounds pretty weird. Were these? Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) What were you going to (laughs) say? I was going to say, were they on drugs? I honestly think so. That is questioned in the interrogation like the police actually do question Brittany about it and she says well um I mean he smokes pot but I don't I don't think he does anything else I mean I don't know which to me whenever someone says I don't think then I think they're lying because it's like well you either you don't know that he does other (laughs) drugs or you know well you should know (laughs) and I'm not sure about her yeah and I shouldn't judge him based on looks but He does seem like a pretty sketchy character. (laughs) He does. That's that's why I didn't want to ask that because I didn't want to seem like I just jumped to that conclusion for no reason. But it just sounds... I know. It's not like everyone on... Yeah, it just sounds odd that you wouldn't be worried about that young child missing for the entire night. Exactly. No, I totally get what you're saying. It's not like everyone on drugs act like would hurt their child or something it just makes you question it because you're it's not in their like you wouldn't think someone would be in their right mind to allow that right exactly and these were obviously big red flags to the investigators but Brittany's boyfriend James Hamilton now he during the same time is actually saying that he doesn't remember seeing little James since Friday night and if that's true 
that's even stranger because that's two days without your six-year-old and you're just now reporting him missing on Sunday. Plus, these two, they couldn't even keep their stories consistent if their life depended on it. Hours would go by of questioning with Brittany denying knowing anything about where her little boy could be. She says that her boyfriend woke her up in the night Saturday saying that he was just gone. They even drove around looking for him. They asked his siblings if they saw him leave, but no one knows where James could have gone. Brittany also says that this isn't the first time James has gone missing from this house specifically. So within the last month that they had lived there, she's saying that he's been lost once before, but no worries, they had found him shortly after they realized he was gone. But this time, they weren't having that luck. And then she goes on to make sure that she tells a detective that they don't even discipline their kids, which like what? Like, that's not good either. And it seems like you're totally overcompensating like, oh, discipline. We don't even discipline our kids. Okay. Okay. Well, how do your children learn? Right. And you like totally find out that is a boldface lie. But like, that was just so weird to me. Because he asks, like, how do you discipline your kids? And she literally says, discipline. Oh, we don't we don't discipline. And he's kind. you can tell the the cop is kind of like, really? (laughs) Like, come on. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to believe that. There's got to be some form. You have to have some way to teach your child right from wrong. You're not just letting them run free. Right. Now, after this, detectives decide to leave Brittany in the room alone for a bit before coming back to let her know that James Hamilton was placing the blame on her. Finally, her tune changes. She says that her boyfriend, Hamilton, told her she needed to get rid of her kids. Something was very wrong here, and it didn't take law enforcement long to sniff out the BS that this couple was spouting, and they were arrested very shortly after the missing persons report was filed. Like on, like they had proof? They didn't have proof, but I think... I'm surprised they were arrested so easily. I think both of them kind of started to admit things, both their stories were way off, and it just became really clear really fast that like, yeah... Like, you you did something. Yeah. So, after her arrest, Brittany's interrogation continues. And finally, a detective is just fed up with her made-up stories and says, Honey, I caught you in about five lies in two minutes because you cannot remember what bullshit story or sentence you said 30 seconds ago. Am I wrong? But Brittany says he is wrong. Doesn't he realize that she's been trying to tell him that she just has a memory problem? And after rolling his eyes, he tells Brittany, you're full of shit. And then he stands up and walks away. It was too much. It was too infuriating to watch her talk in circles. And as this officer is walking away, Brittany asks for a piece of paper. She just needs to keep notes of what she's telling him. He literally laughs at her and asks her if it's so she can keep track of her own lies before telling her, you killed your kid and you don't give a rat's ass. <laughs> like, hey, can I actually just have a piece of paper so I can actually remember what I said? I know. Well, <laughs> just let me write it down and then I got to read through it to make sure. Yeah. He looks at her like, like, really? You are not worth my time. He was so mad. 
I was going to ask, <laughs> did she have any kind of like learning disability or anything? Yeah, I I don't know because like it's not mentioned that she does, but she does seem like not that smart. Yeah, I was just wondering like if she said, well, my memory or if she was just literally lying. Oh, she was definitely lying about that. <laughs> but it comes across pretty clear in her interrogation that she is, like I said, just like not that smart. And that comes across with like her grammar and kind of the things she says and like the way she puts together her sentences. So I don't know that she necessarily had a learning disability or what, but but, not, but nothing like diagnosed or like. Nothing that's stated, yeah. That affected her memory or, like, short-term memory loss? Oh, yeah, absolutely not. She was definitely lying. Like, he was so pissed when she was like, I'm trying to tell you I'm having... I just have a memory problem. And he's like, you are literally so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) At some point, Brittany does eventually break down. Something really bad did happen. But she says it all stemmed from her boyfriend, Hamilton beating her kids. Brittany says that Thursday, February 25th, 2021 was a horrible day for her children. Starting around 6 p.m. that night, her boyfriend Hamilton just kept beating them. She says she could hear the thumping coming from the other room, but it wasn't her. No, she would never hurt her kids. In fact, her kids were acting up and Hamilton just had a scary way of disciplining them. For hours on end that Friday, Brittany's three children were hogtied with dirty underwear stuffed in their mouth until about 9 or 10 p.m. And hogtied is a term probably a lot of us know, but if you don't know, it's referring to someone laying on their stomach with their feet and their hands all tied together behind their back. After hogtying the children, all three of them were thrown into a closet upstairs and left there where they had urinated on themselves from being tied up for so much time. Brittany says that she was overwhelmed with the way Hamilton treated her children. She says that she tried to reach out to child services to relinquish custody, but they wouldn't help her. After considering dropping them off at a fire station, she decided that wasn't enough. They might find her. They might try to give her kids back to her. So she came up with a plan where she could get rid of her children and free them from the abuse she claims only Hamilton was inflicting on them. And this is what Hamilton wanted because she says that he told her multiple times she needed to get rid of her children to drop them off somewhere. And he doesn't care what she does with them, but they got to go. So the night of February 25th turns into the early morning hours of Friday, February 26th. Around 3 a.m., Brittany loads her children into her car. She drives them to Preble Rush Run Wildlife Area, which was a rural park and very secluded. Once she arrives, she pulls her kids out of the car and she plans to abandon them. All three of her children are in a total panic. Remember, at this time, James is six years old and he has siblings that are seven and nine years old, one sister and one brother. Hey, creepy people. This is P&W Haunts and Homicides. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Cassie. Together, we explore stories of the paranormal and true crime throughout the Pacific Northwest. 
We're just two normal-ish friends who wanted more creepy local stories. Our episodes start with a tarot reading to help us gain some insight on each topic as we share the facts of the case and our interpretations. Come join us. We've got plenty of wine, laughs, and stories to share. You can find our episodes featuring true stories from infamous as well as lesser-known true crime cases like the murders in Tunnel 13 and Forest Park. As well as our spooky stories from Pike Place in the Oregon Vortex on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. For all of you that are listening, if you have any true crime or paranormal stories that you want us to share, email us at pnwhauntsandhomicides at gmail.com. Have, have a, a creepy, creepy ass, ass day. day. I can only imagine the screaming and the crying as their mother placed them in a secluded park in the cold in the middle of the night and gets back into her car to drive away. It like breaks my heart and pisses me off. The thought of actually trying to leave your child behind. I don't get it. I just don't see how your mind could make you do that. No, I don't either. And I don't know if I've told you this story before, but Charlie, who's my five-year-old everyone, she's terrified of being alone. She's never been left alone, but there was one time where she was out of the bath. She was taking forever to get her clothes on and get dressed. We were getting ready to go somewhere and she's like throwing a fit. She's taking forever. So I'm like, okay, if you don't hurry up, I'm going to leave you, which obviously I would have never done. And while she's back in her room getting dressed, I walked out the front door to go get the mail and she thought I was leaving her and she ran outside butt naked because she was so scared to be left. And I was like, I was like, seriously, the neighbors are going to see you naked. Go inside. I'm just getting the mail. Like, I'm not leaving you. And that's like, I know that's like a funny little story, but. That's like what I kept thinking about when I was reading it because she was so scared of just being left in our home. Like the thought of these very small children being left in a park alone. I can't even imagine how a kid that age would react. I know. I wonder if they even knew. They did. Like they knew and they were really scared. And they were screaming and crying. And she's a monster for doing that because that is horrible. So Brittany pulls her kids out of the car. She sets them in the park and she's getting ready to drive off. She jumps back into the seat of her car, the driver's seat, and she starts driving. James is in a full-blown panic. He is so freaked out that he's able to run after his mom and grab onto the door handle. He's crying for her. He's screaming for her not to leave him. And as he's trying to get back into his mom's car, she slams her foot onto the gas pedal, accelerating the car, trying to get rid of him. Six-year-old James Hutchinson was then dragged beneath the car for a stretch of time before being possibly ran over and killed by his mom, Brittany Gosney, who just continues to drive away. Brittany claims that she may have dragged him, but didn't run him over. And sometime between several minutes to maybe around a half hour later, Brittany does return to the park for her children. This is when she discovers that James's body is in the road and it was clear that he was dead. Brittany grabs James's body, 
throws him into her car before ordering her two older children into the car as well. And when the family arrives home, she puts her two living children into one bedroom and James's body into another bedroom where she leaves him until her and Hamilton can figure out what to do. After leaving James in a spare bedroom for multiple days, Brittany and Hamilton take his body and drive to Carol Cropper Bridge. They pull over and Brittany says Hamilton tied a cinder block to her son's leg before they both took him out of the car and threw him over the bridge into the Ohio River. Uh, I just don't understand how people can do that. I don't either. It makes me so mad. And this this story was so sad. I know. All because they just don't want to deal with kids. Yeah. And not only were you like, she was, as we'll find out, she was literally leaving her kids there to die. That's what she was hoping. But she didn't plan on him chasing after her and her dragging him with his car, with her car. But like, that is so sad. Like, he just wanted her to take him, take him with her. Like, he just didn't want to be left there. He just wanted to go home. Yeah. It's so sad. Now, shortly after they dump his body, that is when the couple goes to the police station to report James as missing. The police had been able to talk Brittany into confessing after saying that they're pretty sure they have found James with the sonar in the water. Officers say that they are about 91% sure that it's him, and when they do an autopsy, they will know what happened to James, so she might as well tell the truth. Now, this scenario is completely fabricated by interrogators. Remember, they do not have to tell the truth to someone during an interrogation. They actually hadn't found James. In fact, his body still to this day has never been discovered. Oh, wow. Even though she told him where they dumped him? Yeah. I'm not sure if the Ohio River is like a really large river. It does almost seem like... It spans a couple of states. From what I read, that Carroll Cropper Bridge was in Kentucky. But then I read in other sources that her and Hamilton drove to like Lewisburg or something like that, Indiana. So I'm not sure if this is just a really large river. They did tie the cinder block to his leg. I don't know. So after they tell Brittany this, that they are pretty sure they found James... She starts off her story with how she did go to abandon her three kids at the park and how she may or may not have dragged James. But then she starts to backtrack and she says that her boyfriend Hamilton was actually the one who killed James, that he choked him out with a rope and that he was dead before she even took him out of the home. She then tells the officers that it was her two older children who carried her youngest son out to the car. This enraged one of the officers present and he screams at her. You're going to sit here and tell me, tell us that your two other babies carried your dead youngest one to the car. And Brittany's like, oh, she realizes this story isn't going to fly. So she says he was actually still alive, but he just wasn't functioning well after being beaten. Brittany says that James was staggering and running into walls and that he had bruises all over his face. At this point, Brittany had already previously told the officers that she tried to abandon James at the park. So 
now they're like, okay, so you're saying you didn't drag him under your car, that he was dying before that. And she's like, exactly. I'm telling you, I didn't do anything to that little boy. And the officer claps back at her quickly with, uh, yeah, you did. You didn't help him. Number one, you're a grown ass adult. That's a little baby. It's your job as a parent to protect him. And I was like, yeah. Well, it's like, if he was dying, why didn't you take him to the hospital? Exactly. Again, you're his mom. That is not doing something for him. That is hurting him. But this is also not a true story. She's like backtracking, trying to get herself out of a murder charge. Right. And the officers know this, but Brittany continues on to the time where she is dropping her kids off at the park. This is the second time she's telling this part of the story, but this time she says when she drove off, he wasn't even holding onto the door handle. But again, we know this is not true. She says that when she heard her two older kids screaming, she stopped her car, but then they stopped screaming. And that's when she continued to drive away. At this point, one officer leaves the room after saying that he is seconds away from losing his temper and that he needs a break. The other officer tells her that he knows she is lying and that she keeps making up so many different variations of the story. He can tell she's trying to get out of being charged with murder. Ultimately, police come to the conclusion that Brittany Gosney dropped her three children off at Preble Rush Run Wildlife Area to abandon them so that they would die. She had hoped they would freeze to death in the night or fall into the water or that maybe the coyotes would get them. It was her intention to drop her children off and leave in hopes that they would die. Brittany says, well, I didn't know they were going to die, but yes, I did take them out there. And then the detective asks Brittany if it's a safe assumption that when she dropped them off, she hoped no one, including herself, would ever find them or see them again. And she replies, yes. Brittany finally admits that all three of her children were well enough to walk on their own, talk on their own, and know where they were and that they were scared to death. James was not stumbling around or out of it like she tried to claim somewhere in her circle of stories. Hamilton and Brittany decided together that her children were causing problems in their relationship. She says that Rush Run Wildlife Area is where Hamilton told her to take the kids. The couple both agreed that she would need to turn off her GPS on her phone, so she got directions out there online before she left. After dropping them off, she says that James was in fact killed by being dragged as she drove off, but that she didn't have any intentions of hurting them. In fact, she had no intentions of ever seeing those kids again. As she's driving home, she texts Hamilton, I'm on my way home, and little James, well, he might be dead. Hamilton then tells Brittany not to leave James laying there dead. So she returns where she had left them, and this is when she picks up James's body and the other two kids. Brittany didn't come to her final story easily. She ran the detectives in circles. Police were constantly getting frustrated with her lies, constantly telling her she's full of it, and asking her to please just keep her story straight. 
Now, throughout James Hamilton's interrogation, he does end up relaying a pretty similar story to Brittany. However, he says that he is not the only one who abused the children. While he admits to punching the children, he says that Brittany was the one tying them up and asking for his help. James Hamilton definitely does seem like a sketchy character, like I said earlier, but his ex-wife, the one that he had been with for 17 years, she stood up for him, saying that while he did admit to abusing the kids and helping Brittany with the cover-up, that he wouldn't have forced Brittany to get rid of her kids. She says that Brittany was always mean to her kids and that James couldn't force anyone to do anything. So in September of this past year, literally just months ago, Brittany Gosney pled guilty to one count of murder and two counts of child endangering. Judge Noah Powers sentenced her to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 21 years. She will have to enroll as a violent offender when she is released, and this means she has a chance to get out of prison when she's only around 50 years old. To me, it's not enough time. She can still live out a pretty full life after that 50 is not that old, and I wish she would just stay in there for the rest of her life because a parent that hurts their own child, to me, is like the lowest of the low, the actual scum on this earth. Dang it. That's too bad that that's what she got as her punishment. I know. Like, I wish she would just stay there. Let's not parole her. I know, for real. I just, it's not fair. Like, she completely traumatized all three of her kids. I was going to say, did she get any punishment for the other kids? I think that's what the two counts of child endangering are. Oh, yeah. So I think the one count of murder was for James and the two counts of child endangering were for her other two children because she had dropped them off there with the intention that they would hopefully die of, you know, quote unquote, natural causes like from being outside. So she only went back because James Hamilton told her to. So she left and she was going to leave him there. But then they must have realized like, oh, well. If I ran him over or I dragged him, like, it will be obvious that I did that and I don't want to get charged with murder. Like, she wanted her kids to fall in a lake or to die of being, like, freezing. Like, something that she could kind of distance herself from. What a sicko. I actually hate her. Like, when I see pictures of her, I am (laughs) so angry. All I kept thinking was, F you. Literally, F you. I hate you. And during her sentencing, she chose not to say anything. She didn't say sorry. She didn't say anything to her family. Nothing. Just when she was asked two separate times if she had anything to say, she just said no. And none of James's family members attended, including his dad. But officers that investigated his death, along with school officials from his school, did attend. His principal, Tracy Neely, read a statement where she recalled his love for learning and helping others. Quote, The impact of James's murder on those who loved him at Rosa Parks Elementary goes far beyond anything I can try to explain. Although I wish I could make it fully understandable for the purposes of sentencing. No sentence will bring James back. All we can do is hope that his death is not in vain. Our hope is that his legacy shines a light on child abuse. 
end quote. And Brittany's attorney, David Washington, tried to claim that the murder of James was a result of parents not getting the help they need when they are overwhelmed and reach out for help. However, although Brittany says she did reach out for help once, there is no documentation of Brittany actually ever reaching out to any child service or organization. She also says at other times that she never reached out for help because she was too scared. Because, you know, she can't keep her story straight. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She looks so young and he looks so old and icky. Yeah. He's really bad, huh? Yeah. And I just hate her. Like, looking at her face, her face is punchable to me. But she was only 29. She's she was only three years older than me. Yeah. She even looks younger than that. Yeah. But, um, oh, he's a cute little guy. I know. (laughs) <laughs> his little glasses. I know, they're so cute. So what happened to the other two kids? So after Brittany was arrested, her two older children were taken into foster care. And like I said earlier, I don't think they share the same father as James because of her saying that the older two had her last name. But when they were retrieved, the other two children, one a boy and one a girl, Her daughter was very malnourished at the time, and I heard the officers say that in the interrogation. They were basically telling her, like, you don't care that your daughter is really malnutritioned. You don't care that there's other signs of abuse on your son. You don't care that you murdered James. Like, so it was clear that her children were being abused and neglected, and they remain in foster care still to this day. Mm -hmm. I hope they have good lives now. I hope so, too. I hope they're with some good families. Yeah. So then it was in October of 2021, literally just like two months ago, weeks after Brittany was sentenced, that James Hamilton pled guilty to kidnapping, two counts of child endangering and gross abuse of a corpse in James Hutchinson's death, as well as abuse of his two older siblings. James Hamilton was sentenced to the maximum of 19 years. And he was 43 years old when he pled guilty, so he will be released around the time he is 62 years old. Again, don't love it. I would love to see people like this locked up for good. Yeah. Like, especially when you're involved in the death of, like, a child or you, like, you guys were clearly trying to kill all three kids. Yes. So, like, go away. (laughs) Bye. They just don't seem like they'd be productive members of society once they get out, but... No, they're nothing. They were crappy before. They did a horrible thing. They're going to be crappy after. Like, they just need to go away. Yep. So, Brittany's stepdad and James's grandpa that we talked about earlier, Daryl Trivett, says, quote, Part of me just wants to grab a hold of both of them and let them feel what they did to him. It hurts me so bad because I can't even say what he felt. Her leaving him out and him scared and trying to get back in. I can't fathom how he felt. End quote. And it was during a vigil held for James that his father, Lewis Hutchinson, made a statement. Quote, she killed my son. I don't even know how to process this. I want them both to rot. That's what I want. No kid ever deserves to be treated like that. I don't know how somebody could be a monster and do that to a six-year-old, end quote. 
And a woman who didn't personally know James had set up this vigil for him. His story made her heart ache. Quote, a child looks for comfort in his mom. Your mom is supposed to be your superhero. And his mom caused his death and was his monster. End quote. That's really sad. I know. I hated this one. I know. Cried my eyes out like the whole time that I was reading about it. I think I remember seeing this on the news. Yeah, it was just this past year. Yeah. And I had actually saved an article. So when I was looking for cases, I was kind of going back through them. And I can't, you know, I, I read through a few. And when I read this one, it was just like hurt my heart so bad. I was like, okay, we have to do it. That is a sad one. At least, you know, at least for me, I believe in life after death. So, right. At least he could go up to heaven and be comforted by God. I know. I hope he's living his best life wherever he is. Right. And James will stay in my mind and my heart because his sweet little face with those glasses, like you said, and his little fiery red hair. He was like so cute. (laughs) And he deserved so much more from this world and from his own mom. He was terrified during the last moments of his life as he fought for his mom to keep him, to love him as she should, and to not abandon him and his siblings. He was a little hero. And as Child Insider states, quote, A world in which children are suffering in the name of mankind is not a world we should settle to live in. End quote. about ducks but if you've already heard of them you might already heard this story before did you know ducks can sleep with one eye open and this is because they can only shut off their half of their brain they need to keep the other half of alert for other predators they only rest both halves of their brain if they're feeling safe bye have a good day Thanks for being here and supporting us. We are glad to be back with you this week after taking the last week of the year off. Find us on all social media sites for pictures and information on each case. You can find us on Instagram at True Crime X Pod and on TikTok at True Crime Exposed Podcast. This podcast is researched, written, hosted, and edited by me, Kayla Waters. Our co host is my mom, Alicia Jenkins. Our palette cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters. Our original graphic art was created by Arthur Max, and our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at InPajamasMusic. Okay, guys, the organization I wanted to highlight this week is called Prevent Child Abuse America, Ohio. The Ohio Children's Trust Fund is proud to be the official Ohio chapter of Prevent Child Abuse America. 
This is a nonprofit that is committed to the prevention of child abuse and neglect, and it was created in 1972. If you choose to donate to this organization, the way that your donation will help them is by helping pay for training programs for professionals who work with these families, paying for parenting classes where parents and other caregivers can learn how to manage being overwhelmed and find a support network. It will help pay for supplies for programs that support the social and emotional development of children. You can donate and learn more at octf.ohio.com. Dot gov.